By downloading or listening to this podcast, you are agreeing to Moody's legal terms and conditions found at moody's.com slash disclaimer, including that the information provided is not investment or financial advice, and that Moody's will not be liable for losses arising from your use of the information. Hi, welcome to another episode of Moody's Talks Muniland, the podcast about credit dynamics in U.S. public finance. I'm your host, Nick Samuels, from Moody's U.S. public finance team in New York. As we get set for the new year and the fourth anniversary of when COVID shut down much of the U.S. economy, it's worth wondering if any of our Muniland guests will declare that the financial effects of the pandemic are largely over. It won't be next year, certainly not for the higher education sector. The pandemic's impact will continue to weigh on colleges and universities. But prospects for higher ed have improved. And maybe surprisingly, to careful Muniland listeners over the past year, we've moved the negative outlook to stable. Still, we're credit analysts and so contractually obligated to say, but risks remain. With that part of our duty fulfilled, welcome to Chris Collins, an analyst on our higher ed team, to give us a sense of where we're headed. Chris, Good to talk to you again. Welcome back to Muniland. Great. Thanks for having me, Nick. You have changed the higher ed sector outlook to stable. And regular listeners of Muniland will find that interesting because three times we talked about higher ed this year, and it was all about credit risk. Risk from the market impacting endowment values, risk from the rise of AI, and risk to small colleges that couldn't really compete anymore and we're closing. So what's driving the move to stable? Yeah, so I think before we answer that question, Nick, it's important that we take stock of where the sector is at today. Uh, in many ways, you know, we continue to see the spillover effects of the pandemic. Sector-wide operating performance showed considerable weakening in the most recent audited financials, largely due to the exhaustion of federal pandemic revenue, the continued student market struggles, and the high rate of expense growth driven by inflationary pressures and market-driven wage adjustments. And so that takes us to the outlook. And there are essentially three main drivers behind our outlook revision to stable from negative. First, we see prospects for an uptick in revenue growth supported by increases across multiple sources. So just to put some numbers to this, our tuition survey found that sector-wide tuition revenue growth will be around 3%. And separately, state appropriations for public universities are tracking to grow by above 5%. Second, while university budgets remain under considerable stress, we don't expect there to be a material erosion in operating performance over the outlook period. So in other words, we expect that margins will stabilize, albeit at these lower levels as expense growth moderates to more closely align with revenue growth. And this deceleration in expense growth will be supported by both cooling inflation and campus operations getting back to normal after the pandemic-driven disruption. And lastly, balance sheets remain relatively healthy, with sector-wide reserves remaining above pre-pandemic levels as colleges and universities continue to benefit from healthy investment returns and steady donor support. And in addition, the rising interest rates have contributed to deleveraging as debt issuances issuances are down and the funding statuses of pension plans are improved. All right. So you mentioned the pandemic, and of course, that impacted 
every industry, but it hit higher ed in some really interesting ways, namely accelerating the rise of online learning. So how was the higher ed sector impacted by the pandemic and how does that feed into your outlook now? Yeah, absolutely. So as you mentioned, much like other industries, the higher education sector was severely impacted by the pandemic. Um, At that time, almost every college and university had to completely shift business models in a very short period of time, moving essentially to all content delivered online. As a result, this contributed to a significant enrollment in revenue losses, as many students opted to put their higher education plans on pause because they really couldn't get that traditional on-campus experience. And as you could imagine, this created huge budget gaps with institutions responded, responding by reducing employee headcounts through a variety of different mechanisms. And for many institutions, really the saving grace came by the multiple rounds of federal relief aid, which injected billions of dollars into the sector and helped them manage through this period. And so as I mentioned earlier, Really, we're still seeing the spillover effects of the pandemic today, mostly as it relates to the labor issues that we're seeing across the sector. We're seeing more union activity leading to contentious collective bargaining negotiations and even in some cases work stoppages. And we're seeing a a widespread trend of wages being adjusted to align with market rates, which are, again, adding pressure to university budgets. The higher ed sector is really diverse. You have the big state universities with tens of thousands of students and big research universities and small little liberal arts colleges. Are any of those better positioned to thrive in this environment or are some more prone to deterioration? Yeah, so I think you've hit on a really important theme of what's happening in the sector today. We continue to see a significant bifurcation in performance with higher education largely turning into a sector of the haves and the have-nots. And so we would expect that the large comprehensive universities will continue to outperform. And this would include institutions like your highly selective private universities and your flagship public universities, like, for example, your Ohio States and your University of Michigan's. And then on the other end of the spectrum sits the universities that really lack the brand distinction, the scale, and the financial resources to effectively compete. And this would primarily consist of the small private colleges with narrow student draws in the more regional public universities. All right. Like we talked about earlier, there still are a lot of risks for the sector. So even with the move to stable, what are you looking at that could cause credit deterioration? Yeah, so the higher education sector, you know, continues to face a lot of challenges on multiple fronts, right? So from a student market perspective, we have this dynamic where schools are having to balance the priorities of access, affordability, and minimizing student debt levels, which is in effect really limiting pricing power. And then at the same time, we have a looming demographic cliff with the pipeline of high school graduates bottoming out. We have shifting student preferences towards things like more online education and alternative credentials. And finally, we have many questioning really the value proposition of getting an undergraduate or graduate degree. And so all of these factors put together are making for a really challenging enrollment landscape as we look ahead. And as we all know, 
most universities are, are highly tuition dependent as a means of covering their budgets. And then aside from these student market risks, there are a number of other risks on the horizon as well. So for example, if we were to see a downturn in financial markets, that could trigger a pullback in endowment values and philanthropy and erode that healthy financial cushion that we spoke about earlier. And lastly, if expense growth doesn't slow to the degree that, it, that we expect that it will, that would exacerbate the already challenging budget conditions. All right. So given all that, what could make the outlook go positive? Is there anything? Yeah. So we've spent a lot of time talking about the operating dynamics of the sector, right? So a change to positive could materialize if we got to the point where revenue accelerated and overtook expenses, leading to strengthening margins and bolstering balance sheets. Now, I think for this to happen, we would need to see expense growth <clears throat> moderate at a much faster pace than, than we're expecting. All right, Chris, thanks so much for joining us. That's all for now from Muniland. Don't forget to hit subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Join us the second Thursday of every month. We'll talk with you in 2024. Thanks for listening to this Moody's Talks podcast. To find out more about the topics discussed, please follow the links in the show notes. You can check out other Moody's Talks podcasts by visiting moody's.com slash podcasts.